and welcome to the Formidable Over 40 podcast. I'm Sarah Pittendrig, a mum, award-winning entrepreneur, cancer survivor, mentor and coach. In series two of the podcast, we're sharing new stories along with the ethos that you are never too old and it's never too late to design a life you love. On this episode, I'm joined by author and travel journalist Kate Wickers. Kate's debut travel memoir, Shape of a Boy, was published in 2022 and was listed by National Geographic Traveller in the nine best travel books of 2022. Her travel writing has also featured in The Telegraph, The Daily Mail, The Scotsman and many more. Kate's writing career has spanned over two decades and has taken her all over the globe, from swimming with penguins in the Galapagos to walking the Great Wall of China. I can't wait to hear all of Kate's experiences and stories on this episode of the Formidable Over 40 podcast. Before we dive in, please don't forget to rate and subscribe to the Formidable Over 40 podcast. It really helps me to share more fabulous stories like this. So, good morning, Kate. How are you? I'm really well. Thank you very much for inviting me on. It's absolutely wonderful to have you here today. So, for the benefit of the listeners, I know I've done a little bit of an intro to you, Kate, but it would be wonderful if you could just share a little bit more about yourself. Well, I live in Windsor and I'm in a house full of blokes. <laughs> um, my husband, Neil, and then I've got three sons, Josh, who's 22, Ben, who's 21. There's only 15 months between them. What was I thinking? And Freddie, who's 17. And then little Bertie, our Westie, our Westie pup. Uh So yeah, even got a male dog. So I am in my house full of men. Like you said, I'm a travel writer, freelance journalist and author. Yeah, you know, author from as of last year. So um, new new direction for me writing wise, which is very exciting. Yes. And to, to, to publish your own book and to actually see your words in print as in your own book rather than for somebody else must have been an incredibly proud moment for you, Kate. Yeah, it really was. Uh, you know, like I said, it was a, a lockdown baby and yeah. it came off the back of having everybody at home. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Josh had been sent home from uni, Ben had had his A-level cancelled and Freddie was homeschooling. And as we often do as a family, we chat about our travels yeah. and as chatting about them I thought do you know what there might be a book here Mm. and I got out all my old journals and started rereading them and um I thought yeah I I could do something with this I think um because it's such a you know writing memoir is such a personal thing so it was a very proud moment it was a proud moment for all of us the boys have really embraced my journey as well yeah (laughs) thank goodness it is a bit you know I've broken every rule um, regarding what goes on tour stays on tour yes. you know but they all read it before mm. it was published and gave it the thumbs up I didn't want them to be embarrassed by anything or you know oh mum what have you written that for yeah so yeah it's been it's been a great journey as a family really actually yeah and we will get on to the book I, I've started to read it I'm I'm in I'm in Toyland at the moment Oh, I'll not give it away, but I'm, I'm in Toyland. I'm just uh, I'm coming to the end of there, and uh, I'm I'm fully enjoying it. I've been away quite a bit on business with International Women's Day and everything, so I haven't had the chance to to get into it as much as I want to. But I can't wait because I'm thoroughly enjoying it, and I'm and it's so inspirational. 
in terms of reading it and thinking, you know, you can kind of feel like you're with you on this journey. And then it makes me think, I want to go there. I want to see that. Do you know what I mean? It it it, it really is fabulous. But we, I definitely want to talk more about that as we get get through the interview. So the ethos of the Formidable Over Forty podcast it's very much about just showing women who are in midlife who might be feeling a little bit stuck, might be feeling at a crossroads, a little bit lost. For many decades, they've been as someone's. You know, maybe they've they've you know the parents, partner running a business or being, you know, running a high powered job for someone where they've never had the opportunity to, to sort of just really consider who they are because they've been high performing in all of those roles, if you like. And then as you get into midlife, you know, and you get all these different shifts going on, it sometimes brings about at a crossroads. And what I'm doing with, with wonderful guests like you is, is sharing the stories of what it's taken to get to midlife so that they realize that they're never too old and it's never too late to design the life you love. So if I was to ask you, what does Formidable Over 40 mean to you, Kate? Well, it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because the word formidable, when I first saw the name of your podcast, yeah. I thought, gosh, I don't know if I'm formidable. That had a, I don't know whether that had a few sort of negative uh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, connotations to me and I, I kind of looked I had to look the word up just to check that I had the kind of right defini- definition really yeah. and it does it does actually say that it's someone who ins- who can inspire mm-hmm. a little fear yeah yes <laughs> and anyway I I was chatting to one of my oldest friends last night on the phone and I said to, I told her what I was doing today yeah. and she's known me since I was six and I said to her, I don't know really if I fit into the formidable category. And she spat her wine out. <laughs> yes, um, I, I think that after reading your book, and I'll not go too far on, but I'll just say Bethlehem. And when yeah. I was reading about that bit, I, I think there's a lot of formidableness and bravery in that. Yes. Well, it's quite interesting because what she said to me is she said, Kate, you're you're not formidable over 40. You've always been formidable. You know, I wouldn't have ever described myself as formidable, but it's interesting, isn't it, how other yeah. people see you. I think yeah. we're a mixture of we're a mixture of a lot of things, yeah. aren't we? Yeah. But I think what it means to me is that, you know, I've raised my sons now. Freddie mm. will be off to university next year yes and I you know the last five to eight years when the boys were very little I never worked full-time I'd mm. fight for three afternoons a week mm. when they were preschool children and I was I never traveled a lot when they were when they were young because mm. my husband's job that involved travel as well yes one of us had to be at home yes. <laughs> and I wanted that screaming as well I made that choice I mean yeah. no uh, judgment on any other women who choose, you know, who make other decisions. But for me, I wanted to be at home. So I did sacrifice, although I never stopped writing completely, I did sacrifice my career a little bit during that time. Um, so I feel now that, you know, I, I just feel that I can do anything I want to, really. Yeah. I feel like I've, I've done that for them. And I think I've made quite a good job of, you know, of them. Yes. <laughs> so now I feel like it's my time again, and I feel like I, you know, I'm I'm ready to do a lot of exciting things. Yes. And I think 
I'm not as worried about trying things as I used to be when I was younger. You know, if you if things don't work out, then you know, we we can we can reinvent ourselves all the time, can't we? Mm. That's the wonderful thing about you know now the age we're living in. We don't have to be one thing; we can be a lot of different things. Yeah, I feel a bit a bit braver to just give things a go. Yes. Yeah. I think it does. It is a confidence thing, isn't it, Kate? I think it's a confidence thing that we we pull up through the decades, isn't it? I mean, I don't know about you, but in, in my 20s, I, I was sort of a muddled up, jumbled up new mum, you know, 28. I was married at 23, new mum at 28, trying to juggle, you know, being the breadwinner and a new mum and da di da di da And that does your confidence in, I think. And then your 30s is yeah. like, all that, you know, I think it is when you get to like what you're saying there, really, you kind of get to your 40s, don't you? And certainly I'm in my 50s. You can't, I, I don't know whether it's that like you think, hell, I've got more time possibly behind me than I've got in front of me. I've got to make it count so I don't care anymore. Or whether it is just that, you know, this this confidence that we get, isn't it? You know, as, as time goes on. I think when you're bringing up a family, um, undoubtedly you do lose yourself. Mm. A little. I felt like I lost a little bit of myself. I gained another role, of course, and being, uh, you know, mum to Josh, Ben, and Freddie was wonderful. I wouldn't wouldn't have missed that for the world. But you do lose a little bit of what makes you just yes. about you. It's nice to be getting some of that back now. I feel that I've got a little bit more of that back. Yeah, and I'm ready to. I'm open to anything now I'm open to all sorts of possibilities so yes that's how I feel and is it would you say that you're wanting to push on further with your career now in your 40s yeah, or, yeah, yeah. it's like having nearly having a not a rebirth but a but you know sort of a completely sort of step back looking at the landscape and thinking hey I'm prepared to to just see what it what it has in in store for for me yeah, so I should just say, actually, I'm familiar with 50 now. So, oh, but yes, there's so much more I want to do. I, I think writing for me isn't something, it's not just a job. It's just a huge part of who I am. Yeah. And I can't see that stopping anytime soon. Mm. You know, I think it will go on and on. So in what form, I don't know. You know, mm. that's that's still evolving for me. But I definitely know there's a lot more I want to do. Yeah. And it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. And I mean, it's like, especially how you have, you, you've traveled and you've written. And I bet, you know, with these journals that you've consolidated now into this wonderful book that we're going to talk about. I mean, it's an incredibly wonderful gift, I think, to be able to write. I've just written a book while well, I co-wrote it with Elna Mills. And I, if she hadn't helped me by laying out the the, the sort of the, how can we put it? She sort of put the structure out there for me to put the meat on the bones. I, I couldn't have done it. I just wouldn't have even known where to start. And I think to to have that flair, it, it's just the, such a wonder, the wonderful thing. My dream would be to be able to sit and write a book overlooking the sea. That's my <laughs> dream is to try and is to maybe write some form of book myself and what the topic would be. I've got no idea at the moment because I've just done my other one. But I mean, one from my heart to write at the sea must be wonderful. And that's why I say your book is totally, totally inspiring me. So we've talked about being formidable over 40 and how through the decades shapes us. So if we go back to when Kate was 15, and we have a look at your life then. Wh who was Kate? What were her dreams? What were her hobbies? What was she doing? Yeah, so 
Kate at 15 was quite a feisty little madam. <laughs> you know, I'd like to think I've got a little bit of that bat lately, actually. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a little bit of 15-year-old Kate creeping back into my life. Yeah, what was I like? I, I spent a lot of time posing. Right. Smoking, um, smoking white consulate menthol cigarettes. Ah, yes. I can, I can resonate with that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like, you know, walking around the small town that I lived in just outside Bristol in my Oxfam camp, my DMs, thinking I was the, you know, yeah. the next best thing. Um, yeah, I, I was, my hobbies were, you know, I, obviously I've always loved reading. I did write at that time as well. Yeah. Um, I was big into drama. I mm. also wanted to be an actress, actually. And the other, uh, you know, thing I loved to do was was paint. I was doing right. no-level art, on to do an A-level art. That was another accessory of mine, along with the white consulate cigarette. <laughs> I had a big art portfolio. That I, I mean, I was quite attention-seeking, I won't lie. I mean, I think if I could probably see myself now, I'd probably think, oh, get over yourself. <laughs> I don't know. I think you sound pretty cool to me. It's funny. I'm, I'm, I'm laughing to myself inside about those consonant mental, mental cigarettes. It was something I'd completely forgotten about. <laughs> and yes, I was that girl too. I shouldn't, I shouldn't be, you know, saying how cool I thought smoking was. Yeah, no, I'm the same. While we're on the subject, the other cigarettes are those really long thin brown more cigarettes oh, which God. yes yes you know i thought i was absolutely so yeah. cool yes i mean we all it's totally not and it's very it, it's you know we all know now i think that's the difference isn't yeah. it there's, there's so much research and so many you know so many facts out there about how bad it is for us so all the listeners don't, don't jump on the bandwagon here and say that we're promoting it we're not we're saying we understand that we were foolish but we thought at the time we look cool 15 year old Kate and the other thing I loved to do was because you know I, I was so close to Bristol was going to see live bands yeah and big into live music and I would go to gigs uh, age 15 and then I would try and find out where people were staying what hotels they were staying at yeah oh my god no stopping me and you know I'd go and sport Jim Kerr and Simple Mind <laughs> yeah you know, and get autographs and yeah so I was you know I was I was quite a handful I think for my mum and dad <laughs> <laughs> it's all character building isn't it it's all it's all personality to who we are today so I want to talk about your book. Now, obviously, those people who are who are listening on Apple or Spotify aren't going to see this. But for anyone who's watching on YouTube, this is Shape of a Boy. And it is a wonderful, it's a, it's a wonderful journey, I would. Well, well, actually, rather than me describe it, Kate, describe your book to the listeners. Because, you know, it's, it's your, it's your, as you say, your baby. So the first chapter begins with me pregnant with Josh, um, traveling in Israel and Jordan. You know, the book grows from there. So the next chapter, I've got Josh with me and he's a baby. The next one, Ben is Ben's there as well and they're um, three and two. Um, and it goes on throughout their life. So it begins with, you know, the second chapter, Josh is a baby. And the last chapter, we're in Cuba and Josh is 18. And that's where it ends. Yeah, yeah. So and every chapter deals with something that I feel that the boys have learned while traveling. Mm. So, um, you know, a life lesson they've had 
But there's a lot of humour in the mm-hmm. book, and it's very honest. It's a real warts and all account of who we are as a family and how we travel together. And I, you know, I wanted to write something honest because I think there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot out there about perfect families, yeah, and you know, perfect lives. And I think, you know, I wanted to show people that, you know, as a mum, I make mistakes. You know, my children aren't perfect. We have a lot of fun along the way. But, you know, we argue and there are problems. And I, Mm. you know, I always get things right. But it's a, you know, I hope it gives people a little bit of inspiration as well to travel if they've got young kids. Um, You know, because... It is doable. You can worry about these things and look at all the things that can go wrong. But at the end of the day, you know, the things you think that might go wrong never do. And it's the things you didn't anticipate that, you know, come up as problems. But, you know, I, I've never had any terrible experiences while traveling. Yeah. Would. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a bit that really uh, resonated with me in the book. I was a single mum for 10 years with, with my son, William, who's 23 now. And I used to holiday with mum and dad. And I can remember traveling to, to Malaga and he screamed from the moment we got on the plane till the moment we got off the plane. And everybody literally just was staring at me with devil eyes. I think they, I was the most hated person <laughs> on that flight and I could not for the love of me settle him down and I, there's a bit in the book was it when you were going to Thailand where your son was, was... going to Thailand the minute we got on the plane Ben went, went rigid with two <laughs> and it was a night flight long haul yes had a three-year-old and a two-year-old and Ben was screaming his head off and I was getting so stressed yeah and more stressed I was getting, as any parent knows, the more yeah. stress your child gets. And you know, it was just going from bad to worse. And I was what was stressing me out was that ev- I could hear everybody tutting yes. around me oh. and see people rolling their eyes. I heard the woman behind us ask to be moved. Oh, you know? And so I stood up and <laughs> said to everybody, could I just have your attention for a moment, please? And everybody looked terrified then, actually. So maybe I am formidable. <laughs> um, you know, sort of like looked at me and thought, "Oh my God, what's this woman going to crazy woman going to do?" And I said, "Look, you know, I know you think my son is a nightmare, and you're all dreading this flight with me for eleven hours, but can you just bear with me for a, for a moment and just mm-hmm. be patient? I, I promise you that I will settle him down." Hopefully he will go to sleep and yeah. then we'll, we'll more relax. But, you know, I feel I know I'm making you all uncomfortable and I'm getting very stressed. So, yeah. And it was really funny because a few people just sort of nodded. Yes. And this young people who were going off on this amazing backpacking adventure together just gave me a thumbs up, you know. And, uh, you know, a few people looked a bit like, oh, my God, you know, uh, no, just shut your kid up. You know, still. but anyway, no people did sort of settle down, and so did Ben. Yeah, and Ben fell asleep during takeoff and didn't wake up until we were landing. Amazing. And afterwards, people were saying to me, "Oh, we didn't believe you. We thought, you know, we were going to be in for a nightmare trip." Yeah, you know, fantastic. Equally, I've been on, you know, other shorter flights where it's been more difficult to pull yeah. kids down. Yeah, you know. We've, I think most people have been there. I think, you know, what you're imagining often 
other people thinking and saying about you and how much bother you're causing other people is a bit in your head. Yeah. You know? um, now I think, I, you know, I'd be much more, much more relaxed. Mm. You know, when I, when I'm on a plane now and I hear a child crying, I yeah. feel sorry for the parents. Oh, well, that's it. I'm rolling my eyes and tutting. I'm just thinking, oh, Gosh. that's, I can feel for you. Yeah, Yeah, it's it's not easy at all. So for for anyone listening, um, what would you say in terms of any sort of travel tips and travel advice? You know, for for people, um, what lessons have you learned while you've been traveling? The actual journeying, the actual getting there. I think. Yeah, I think I think the yeah the whole sort of getting there and and just you know how to plan and prepare to have a good trip. Yeah, I think, well, the actual sort of physical traveling of getting on the plane and getting there, I think, uh, you know, there's a few things you can do. When your kids are really young it's and they haven't been on a plane, mm. I think it's really good to talk to them about what's happening. Kids often freak out because of something that's unknown. So getting to an airport and getting on a plane can be quite overwhelming for kids sometimes. So it's good to sort of show them pictures and chat about that first. Um, I always try and pick, if it's long haul, when the boys were little, I'd always try and pick an evening flight, although not a very late flight, so that they were kind of completely overall. So it was sort of early evening so that they could watch a few cartoons and then settle down. And I always took their pyjamas with me. They would always have, even on planes, would have a nighttime routine of getting in their pyjamas doing their teeth, snuggling up under blankets that we brought from home and a teddy from home so that there was a little bit of coziness, a little bit of familiarity. You know, and from about the age of three, I'd always get them to carry their own little backpack because, you know, tiny little backpack, like Josh had one that had Noddy on it. You know, he'd have his teddy in there, he'd have a book, he'd have some crayons. Yeah. Oh, were crayons, actually. I, I gave up buying individual crayons i've got one of those really chunky ones that you can change the color on because yes. you know there's nothing worse than trying to find stray crayons uh-huh. rolled up in the seat um but you know you need to have a few little exciting new things for the kids to you know look at when they're on a plane yeah yeah I, I, you know I think also just don't sweat the kind of stuff you have no control over so yeah if a delayed or if the weather's bad or something like that happens just accept it straight away Mm -hmm. you can't do anything about that i never really understand when i see people at airports shouting about (sighs) the fact of snowing and their flight can't take off yeah there's nothing you can do about it they're not going to suddenly say oh well sorry (laughs) because you're shouting we're going to be able to take off on time It's not going to happen. So I, you know, so when things like that, just, just you have to just go with it a bit. Yeah. I think. And I think sometimes, you know, people don't sort of just roll with those kind of things. And it's usually things, that, you know, like I said before, it's usually things that you've never anticipated, you've never thought of before that will that will come up as problems. But you'll, do, you know, you'll deal with them. And to be honest, Kate, you could put that to anything in life, couldn't you? Really. You know, absolutely. you can apply that to so much, can't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't, don't sweat the small stuff. No, don't, don't, definitely not. It's it's yeah. a waste of energy. And again, your kids will just pick up on your stress mm-hmm. and unhappiness. So, uh, you know, I mean, that said, I'm not perfect. 
<laughs> in every situation. And it, you know, I do get stressed sometimes yeah. and I do get frustrated. But I, you know, I do try and let as much as I can just go. Yeah. You know. Again, I think now in our 40s and 50s, I do think that's a lot easier to do than when we're sort of in our 20s and 30s. Would you agree? Um, or were you were you quite calm? And I mean, obviously you did that when, when your kids were small, but uh, um, yeah. I think I would probably be, I probably yeah. wasn't as confident and as calm as you were when you stood up there and said to those yeah. people, I was more like, oh my God, I want to hide. <laughs> Probably I'll always try to be like that, you know. I mean, I always think about where we're going. I always think about the destination. So yeah. even when things go wrong and think, and you're in a, a moment where everything feels chaotic mm-hmm. and, you know, you think, oh, my God, what am I doing taking three young children to Borneo or Sri Lanka or wherever? Yeah. Then um, I think about, then I just go in my mind to the destination and I think about everything that's We'll be there when we get there. Yeah, and we get. I think, oh, this is going to be amazing when we get there. Just get, just get through this. This will pass. There, just get to that end. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you've been to some amazing places. I haven't, as I say, I've still got so much more to, of the book to to enjoy. But where would you say has been the most favourite place you've been to, and and why? Have you got a favourite? I find that so difficult. Everybody asks me this question, right. and I should you're answering this now Sarah but I'm really not so I will say I've just got back from Rwanda and Uganda yeah and Fred was with me on that trip uh-huh. and we went mountain gorilla trekking oh wow and I have you know I've had some amazing travel experiences you know during my career yeah. uh, you know but but that was really up there that was incredible the, the uh, you know you go in small groups um maximum of eight yeah uh tourists to you know, visit mountain gorillas in the wild. In uh, in Rwanda, we were in National Volcanoes Park, and you go with a ranger and a guard and trackers. And you spend once you find the gorillas, once the trackers have found the gorillas, you spend up to an hour with them, maximum of an hour. And then the other twenty three hours of the day, they're left. Right. You know, yeah. for their own. You know, they're not disturbed. Yeah. And they're habituated, which means that you know they they're used to seeing people. Yes. They, they, used to seeing people over the years it's it you know it's 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 amazing tourism and it's you know really ethical it was amazing spending time with the gorillas you know we share 98 percent of the same dna and they look at you like they're thinking oh yes you you know i know you uh-huh. um they really really look into your eye and make a connection and i found it very moving a little unnerving because yes still yeah you but I never felt that, you know, at any point that things could get out of control. It feels very um, safe. Yeah. You're supposed to stay seven to ten metres away from the gorillas, but the gorillas actually don't take any notice of that. They <laughs> they know, you know no boundaries. <laughs> they don't. I mean, if they want to come and walk right past you, yeah. then they it, it, was, it was an exceptional, very a privilege, yeah. absolute privilege. It was wonderful to share it with Freddie. Yeah. You know, I... Uh, oh, it's just you know, a wonderful experience. Um, apart from that, uh, I think I've I've in oh so many trips for so many different reasons. I think Borneo is a very special one because that was the first wasn't the first holiday we'd had as a family of five, but it was the first long haul adventure. Yeah, adventure that we'd had. And Fred, it was the day after Freddie's second birthday, 
that we got on a plane to Borneo. Yeah. And I'd had very bad postnatal depression after Freddie was born. Right. And um, it felt like such, oh, it felt wonderful to, you know, two years after to be, I couldn't have imagined yeah. that again. No. You know, during my bleakest moments, I couldn't imagine ever traveling like that again. Yes. Uh, it, you know, it was it was wonderful, absolutely yeah. wonderful. And we saw an orangutan in the wild, which is sadly very rare these days. Yeah. And I talk about that in the book. So that, 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 you know, that's a trip that really sticks in my mind. Another is before children. Mm. When I was just starting to think about a career as a travel writer, I saw I was still in my 20s, I went to Peru. Yeah. And I trekked the Inca Trail to Machu Picchu over right. five days. And it was, you know, quite challenging. You go up to sort of, you know, you go up to some dizzying heights mm. and camping above the clouds. It was, it was amazing. And when I got back, the week after I got back, I saw that the rough guides were asking for submissions for a new guidebook. And the guidebook was called Women Travel. Right. And they were looking for women writers to, um, you know, to submit whole chapters, a whole story on on a destination. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to write about Peru. Yeah. And I wrote about that trek. And they um, accepted it, and it was included in the book. And it was that moment where I thought, oh, this is it. This is what I want to do. I want to be a writer. Yeah. And I, I didn't look back no. after that. You know, it, it was such an honour to – I still – it's you know, it'll be 25 years next year that that published. Yes. I still – think of it as one of my proudest moments yeah and it was so it, it was right at the start of my career and I I think of it still think of it as one of my proudest proudest moments as a writer yeah included in that book with all these amazing other women writers yeah you know especially with rough guides I'd always been a huge fan of rough guide books so um so Peru will always have a special special place in my heart yeah because yeah. of that but uh, yeah so many lovely trips <laughs> Yeah. They sound absolutely fantastic. I mean, that's something I definitely want to do. I think now we uh, so I'm 52 this year, but prior to that, we've very much been on the road with horses. Our son went, you know, competing all over the, the country at a high level. And so we literally lived on the road in a but let's call it a big camper van with horses on the back. And that's all we did was travel the UK all the time. So I, I haven't really been anywhere, which is why your book inspires me, you know, regular trips every year to, to Malaga to go up into the, the, the mountains of Ronda, which I love to be there. But I haven't really been anywhere else. Now, Italy inspires me. Now, did I see you write an article recently for The Telegraph? Now, it wasn't you was because yeah. I wanted to go to Tuscany and you were saying, I'm sure it was, I read this, tell me if I'm wrong, that there was somewhere new, not new, of course, not somewhere bloody new. It's the, it's the next, it's, it's, it's sort of been, how could I put it? The, the new Tuscany or something yeah. like that. I can't remember what you were saying, but it really interests me because it's somewhere I'd like to go. Please tell me about that. What, what Where's that? Well, actually, it's interesting because I'm writing a lot more about Italy at the moment. I've, I've had about six features published in the last month on different things. I had, I had quite an extended trip last autumn, and uh, you're talking about Piedmont. So right. I had a, yeah, a huge spread in the Telegraph a few weeks ago, and that was on Piedmont's hilltop towns. Yeah. In the Lago region, so right. that's the Lago 
wine region. Yeah. And it is comparable to Tuscany because of the architecture and the yeah. hilltop towns. Mm. But what's different about it is often you visit these these towns and you're the only tourist there. Yeah. So they're very, very quiet. Um, it's a beautiful region, not overrun with tourists at all. Most people go there for the food and the wine, which Perfect. of course you would, you know, a, a, a wonderful, wonderful part of a trip there. But yeah. you know, also um, exploring the hilltop towns. Uh, we, we, I mean, we did a fantastic day by Vesper. Uh-huh. Oh, fantastic! That'd be such fun. That yeah. made me feel fifteen again. I'd like that. Um, but yeah, exploring these places was lovely because you know, no one there. No, absolutely no one. Perfect. Huge contrast to other parts of Italy. Yes. Um, yes, I've, I've, and I've just uh, Italia magazine is just out, and I've got a piece on truffle hunting. Oh. I went with a female truffle hunter. Yeah. And useful legato dog, um, truffle hunting in the woods in Piedmont. And then Journey Magazine, which is another absolutely gorgeous magazine. The new issue has just come out. Yeah. Written a lovely feature on Puglia. Right. Uh, a very travel feature on Puglia, which I, I love writing for magazines like that. They give you the opportunity to be really, really descriptive and write yeah. beautiful pieces. So, yeah, I, I'm really enjoying writing more about Italy again. I used to, and I think it's something I'm going to continue to do again. I think yeah. that's something definitely... Um, I'd forgotten how much I love writing about Italian culture and food. Yeah. Well, I've never been, as I say, we, we've we've gone to Spain for many, many years and enjoy being up, you know, in the mountains, no tourists where we go. And um, we stayed at a, a very small boutique hotel, 20 rooms next to a mountain stream, you know, no TVs or anything, just beautiful. But I want to get out now. It was handy when you just wanted to nip somewhere and you knew the food would be good and you'd get the sunshine. And then you had to get back and do that. Whereas now I really want to carve out time for me and start exploring. And this is why your book's been so inspiring, because I think, God, there's a big world out there, Sarah. You really need to get get a grip and there's two wonderful ladies um, up here in the northeast who've created 101 things to do. So it's a bit like creating this bucket list before you die. So I had to write a list of 101 things I wanted to do before I died. And I was just reading it back this morning and I was looking at how, how interestingly, how many of those things I'd put on did relate to travel. And one of them was driving through Italy in an E-type Jag. Why I want to do that, I've got no idea, but it just sounds so, I don't know, is indulgent the right word? I don't know what, off just fun. And I, you know, so that was one thing. And um, I, I'm very drawn to Italy at the minute and France. I, I, I did A-level French. God knows how I managed to scrape through that. But I, I think that is uh, the, the sort of the plan to drive through the gourmet trails of of europe and i might just have to give you a ring on that one <laughs> so if you hadn't done if you hadn't done travel kate what would you have done do you think if you hadn't gone down the travel and journalism route when i was younger i wanted to be an actress yeah. um so i you know i was in all the school plays and you know fancied myself as a bit of a thespian yeah i did audition for drama schools i got a i got a place um at cardiff uh, School of Speech and Drama, I think that's mm. what it's called, yeah. um, which I believe now is kind of like has more kudos than even RADA. I think it's the top in the country. Right. But I was a little young. And so they asked me to come back in a year. And by that time, I'd sort of moved on. 
I, I was a bit like that at that age. You know, yeah. things didn't happen for me straight away. I got bored and moved on easily. And by that time I'd moved to London, oh, I had several – I didn't know really what I wanted to do. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I – I mean, I was always really, really good at, you know, English at school. Yeah. But I didn't feel that the careers advisors there were particularly aspirational yeah. for us girls. That's very I mean, true. One of them suggested that I might like to be a librarian. Aha. Uh-huh. You know. Oh well, well that kind of trumps mine because again, I can. This must be a real generational thing. So anyone listening, I'm I'm sure you're going to empathise with what Kate and I are saying. I had exactly the same thing. I was told now, and, and I had, hey, there's nothing wrong with being a secretary, a librarian, or anything. It's absolutely everybody, you know, does what they do. But I was told I the best I could hope for was to be a secretary. And I didn't want to be a secretary, just like maybe you didn't want to be a librarian. But that limiting, there's a self-limiting belief before you've even bloody left school. Yeah. I mean, I actually think being a librarian is is probably a really lovely job. But mine, it wasn't, you know, I felt that, you know, I didn't mind it being on the list, but Mm -hmm. I would have liked new other, I would have liked to have seen journalists and journalists wasn't on. And I look back, why wasn't it on there? Yeah. Why did someone say to me, you know, actually, Kate, you, you could possibly make a career out of writing? So what happened is I'd moved to um, London and I did several jobs. I worked as a window dresser right. for a little while. You know, um, I blagged my way into that one off the back of having an A-level art and looking a bit arty, I suppose. And then I moved to Brighton and... I decided that I'd been working for uh, Brighton Council um, at part-time job, working on their play schemes, and you know I'd really, really enjoyed it. So by now I'm still only like twenty, you know, and I decided that I would do go to university and I would do a a B.Ed in early years education, um, and I did that for a year and then realised actually that teaching wasn't for me. Um, so I left and I got a job working for children in need. One of the projects I set up was a club for teenage girls on a large council estate just outside Brighton. And um, one of the things I started with them was a community magazine, like a girls' magazine. And it was so much fun. I loved it. I loved the editing process. I loved the, you know, kind of looking for ideas. And off the back of that, I started writing um, a few pieces for local magazines and newspapers. And I started thinking then that perhaps this could be more than a hobby. This could be something, you know, I, I could I could do. And then I went back to university and I studied media and communications. And I did that over journalism because I knew that I'd be able to study journalism within that. But I'd also study other writing disciplines. And I wasn't still completely sure what I wanted to do with my writing. Fantastic. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, but I, uh, the, the key thing for me was I met another formidable woman, and she really was. She was um, an American professor who taught some of my courses, and she took me aside one day and she said, Kate, your writing is good enough to be published now. Right. Don't wait until you've graduated write about something you love Mm. and start sending some stuff away. And I love travel. 
and I would take any opportunity to travel. Yeah. And so I wrote some travel features and I wrote them on spec and I sent them off to editors. And by the time I graduated, I was writing regularly for the Sunday Telegraph. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so I never really looked back after no. that. I was mm. stuck with travel. And in the year, early years of my career, I covered a lot of adventure travel. Mm. You know, I had a lot of flea back then. I'd be staying in hostels, trekking Tigerly Gorge in China and staying in like little mountain hostels and, yeah. you know, really rough, but writing really interesting pieces. Um, yeah, that was a really exciting, you know, start to my career. And it was, you know, it was all going very, very well really really well and then of course I had kids mm-hmm. and I made that decision you know I couldn't I couldn't be on a plane every two minutes and yeah. you know away from home and I having a nanny was never really a consideration for me not you know not again because I have any judgment on that you know I, I think every woman should make be allowed to make their own decisions about what they want and how they want to you know manage um, their family life yeah. But for me, I felt that I wanted to be at home with the boys. And gosh, it was hard at times with the three of them. I had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a baby at one yes. point. You know, and I used to look at the clock, and it would seem like, you know, I'd, think I'd get the Play-Doh out for them to play, and I'd think, oh, well, that'll take up half an hour. And I'd look at the clock again, and five minutes would pass, and they were already bored. <laughs> you know, the days were long. Yeah, sometimes. very long, I'm sure. Goodness gracious. I mean, five, goodness, three under five. I mean, it is a... Yeah, and then postnatal depression when Freddie was born as well. So yeah. it was, it, you know, there were there were some tough times, but yeah, I, I, you know, I don't regret any of that. No. And so, yeah, but travel writing was something I fell into, I suppose, because Heather, my professor, pushed me into just going for something, and you know, and then I just stayed with it, and then of course. While the boys were young, I wrote about family holidays. So I'd save all the long haul stuff for when we could travel as a family. Yeah. And, you know, that, that gave me lots to write about. Yeah. You know, family travel became my thing more than adventure travel, although a little bit of that as well still. And there's a lesson then there or a message rather than a lesson, isn't there, that, you know, if, you, if you're passionate about something and you enjoy writing about it, to journal and put it all down in your journals, isn't there? Because look what your your journals have, have, have brought out a book. And I suppose really my memoir is is really, you know, my diary, my journal over the decades too. So I suppose there's a, a huge amount to be said for get your journal and your pen and, and jot your notes down, isn't there? I keep a notebook with me everywhere I go. Yeah. So I'm quite old school. I like writing things down so I'm a little bit of a magpie if I'm on the train and I hear a snippet of interesting conversation or you know I can just see something that will trigger an idea or write things down I'd be absolutely lost without my journals I wouldn't have this book without my journals I mean you can look at you know photographs and that those will stir memories but really it's the fact that I kept such detailed diaries words, yeah you know, that's, that's helped me Mm. Um, write write this book because yeah. you've got the words and the feelings from that moment, haven't you? And you you because you've actually yeah. captured them in that moment, whereas yeah. they can be lost in translation from a photograph from years yeah, years on, can't they? So that's a message, isn't it? Yeah. And the other thing I did in my you know my, when I was still in my forties, I went back to university and studied for an MA. 
Right. So even even though you know by then I'd you know I had a career in journalism, I uh, went back and I studied an MA in creative writing. Mm-hmm. And I I would really in you know people I often get messages from people who say, Kate, I'm really interested in breaking into travel writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what, what would you what you know what would you recommend or is there somebody I can contact? <laughs> And what I always say is, it doesn't really matter who you are or what, you know, if you, if you write well, yeah. great. Even if you've got a career that involves writing, you know, you can always learn. And the MA I um, studied for really helped my feature writing. You know, it's not that I'm writing fiction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, where I've been to, I've, you know, everywhere I've, about, I've been to and I've experienced. But description-wise, it just wakes your writing up it gives you energy you know Mm. and I think um going back to study at any age is a really positive thing I mean I I you know it was really good for me it really woke me up I felt it it, you know it just it just improved all aspects of my writing and you're never too old because I my son's 23 and he was considering going instead of doing his horses professionally doing them as a hobby and doing something else and I said Joe I said why don't you go to university you know go go and study something completely different do something crazy oh I'm 23 I'm far too old and I'm thinking I'm like what because you're not and I'm trying to explain to him that you're not I said there's women who come to me you know for mentoring and the 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 the, the going to university the the changing career in the 40s and in the 50s you know, you're never yeah. too old. And I think that is the message, isn't it? That you must never sort of put yourself in that box of, oh, I'm too yeah. old, I can't do that. You can do what the hell you yeah. like, can't you? I think even in your 60s, yeah. you know, I've got some friends now who are getting to that age. Yeah. And are still really vibrant yes. women and, and have actually, you know, now over 60 as well. I know yeah. a few who are really, really flying yeah. in their career. Mm-hmm. and you know over 60 yeah why, why I think we're living longer you know we're all touch wood healthier yes you know there's no reason if if you're excited about something and you're engaged mm-hmm. and you know why 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 should there be a cutoff yeah I mean I, I was annoying me a little bit though still the whole age thing particularly with women because I was approached recently, I can't say by who, right? Because <laughs> but I was approached, approached recently by a television company yeah. about some presenting work. Right. And they thought I was in my 40s. You know, mm. they didn't know how old I was, but they thought I was in my 40s. And when I told them that, you know, I'm now over 50, I could I could see. I yeah. could see them a little bit. And the reason reason why is because the other co-presenter is a younger male. Right. And I actually think that would have been quite an interesting dynamic. Yeah. But for them, they wanted a similar age to the male host that they are talking to. Mm. And I, you know, I, I just felt shut down. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, yeah. I, I it still happens, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, it it most definitely still happens. There's there's absolutely no question about that. But I do think that the narrative is starting to change. You know, the, the I think midlife women now are realizing that hey, do you know what? Actually, we've had enough of this. We've had enough of this. We're going to stand tall and proud. And there's some really wonderful 
people out there banging the midlife drum to to encourage people to come on, you know, get up yeah. and get out of the shadows. This is your time to shine. And this is, again, the ethos of this podcast. That's the whole idea. I mean, my I reinvented my whole life in my 40s. I was a bankrupt single mum. I was on income support and my house was repossessed just before I was 40. And I rebuilt my whole life and totally yeah. changed the trajectory of my life in my 40s. It's and in my you know, in my fifties, inspirational. It's stronger than ever, Kate. Stronger yeah. than ever in my fifties. You know, I had cancer twice in my forties. You know, and it was like, well, I'm not going to just give in. I'm not going to give in. I've got a whole life to live, and I'm and now I'm more determined than ever, and more passionate than ever about living. And sadly, we are coming towards the end of this interview, which I have so enjoyed. God, I could talk to you oh. forever, Kate. <laughs> I always ask my guests if they could pay forward some advice, you know, for mm. anyone who sat there thinking, oh, God, you know, I'm just stuck. I, I really I need to reinvent my life. I feel yeah. bloody stuck and I don't know which way to go. What advice would you share, could you offer to anyone who may feel like this, Kate? Well, I'd say a few things. I think, you know, I'm no expert. You know, I'm just an ordinary mum. I, I do feel, you know, at the end of the day, I'm just an ordinary mum. I happen to write about travel and I happen to get my work published. But I'm, you know, I'm just I'm just like everybody else, as you are, as, yeah. as anybody. Is. Yeah. I think, you know, often you look at people and you put people up on, you know, these pedestals you think you can't reach, but you can. You know, you can. You, you know, you're no different to anybody else. And I think, you know... We all have huge self-doubts, you know, everybody, even the most confident, formidable women yes. have battle with self-doubt, including me. What I would say about that is um, don't – my advice would be not to look at your end goal and, and fixate on that. I take small steps. Yeah. So a good example for me is I've written a novel – so um, now if I sat down and said to myself, right, Kate, you're, you're going to write a novel, that would have been terrifying. I, I, it, it would have terrified me. I would have, it would have been too big a thing for me to – it would have stopped me starting. Yes. So I, I didn't do that. Too overwhelming. Too overwhelming, far yeah. too overwhelming. Yeah. And I, so what I try to do – to reach bigger goals is get to it's, it's small steps. So that might be a thousand words. You know, okay, today I'm going to write a thousand words. I'm not writing a novel. I'm writing a thousand words, and then I'm going to write another thousand words, and then in a, and then in a little while I've got a chapter. Oh look, I've written a chapter. Yes. Then I've written two chapters, and then it's you know I I think sometimes we set ourselves up these major right i want to do this this is what i want to do and it's huge and it's so huge it stops you doing things you know it stops you getting there um making things more manageable for yourself and realistic mm. you know we're all we're all so busy aren't we that's the other thing how can we possibly fit these amazing things we want to achieve into our lives well you know I, I kind of fall myself into thinking I'm doing something much smaller to get to the bigger stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's absolutely right. And that is, that is the whole um, ethos behind my The I Can Method. 
It's about looking at your big goal, pin it, put it on your wall in front of your desk, but leave it there and break it down into as many. I always say it's a bit like a chocolate orange. You've got the chocolate orange there, but then you break it into all these little segments and start putting it back together again or or think of it as a jigsaw. You've got the picture and then it has to be broken up into so many pieces and then eventually you just put it back together again and then there's your big picture because you're absolutely right. It, it can just be too overwhelming, can't it? It can be, and I think then that stops you getting even started because you think, oh, my God, it's too big. How can I even do this? I've got a big pin board that I have in front of my desk, and I um, I write myself little motivational, you know, post-its. Yeah. Yes. You can do it, mate. You can do it. <laughs> you, know. you can do it. <laughs> you absolutely can. <laughs> Sometimes I think I can't, you know, quite often. I, can't. I think we're all like that. I think we all have yeah. those days, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. So, no. I mean, I think that's what works for me. And I think, you know, I think just knowing as well that, you know, I think it's taken me a long time to realise that everybody has self-doubt. You know, even the most confident appearing person, you know, has times when they think, I, I'm not sure I can, I'm up to this, you know, that sort of feeling, imposter syndrome. Yeah, you know, I, I, just, I think that's more common than not. And I think, you know, you know, I think it's more common than not. And the, 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 the people can feel very isolated as if it's just them. And that's why these conversations are so important because for people to realise it's not just them makes a massive, massive difference. I remember when I was very, very depressed and suffering from agoraphobia and panic attacks, and I thought it was just me and there was something just wrong with me. Mm. But when I started to read about other people and, and they, you know, they were describing how I was feeling, even not that you want them to feel how you're feeling, but just knowing that somebody else has been like that and gets out the other side makes a huge, huge difference, doesn't it? So oh, I think it's so important to share really these does. stories. Yeah, it really doesn't matter. I write, I write about my next book's about motherhood. And, um, you know, I write about my postnatal depression in that. And it's a very honest book. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that will resonate with people. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's amazing. I, I put everything in mine. I thought, why shouldn't I? You know, I'm going to, I want the whole idea of the book. It isn't for me. It's for other people, you know. There's like yeah. chapters upon everything, and it's it's to and I, and the messages I get are oh, it's, that's the best. Absolutely, it? it's like thank yeah. you, thank you. I now understand, or I'm glad it's not just me, or I don't feel so, you know. So we've got to keep up the good work, Kate. Now, yeah. shape of a boy. Where can our listeners? find this fabulous book and where can they learn more about you kate well it's in all good book shops um waterstones and you know you can find it in waterstones and on amazon of course um and lots of lovely lovely independent bookstores are stocking it as well and yeah it's sort of everywhere i think and you can follow me on instagram at um, wickers.kate and on Twitter at Kate Wickers. Fabulous. Well, on that note, Kate, I just want to thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute treat. And thank you to our listeners for listening to the Formidable Over 40 podcast. And Kate, thank you for joining us and sharing all of your wonderful stories. 
Head to the show notes to find out links to Kate's socials and writing and follow the podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. And please do share Formidable Over 40 with anyone who you think will enjoy it or needs it. And please do like and subscribe. <laughs>